0: what it feels like if you're a guest with us today. It might be a little bit confusing to be welcomed back. Uh, I've been on sabbatical for three months, and so I haven't been doing what I have been doing for seven years here on the island. And um, I've learned a lot over the last three months. Uh, I've also grown to appreciate uh, educators, those teachers and administrators who pour their heart out all year with students and then disconnect during the summer only to reconnect again. That whole process. is a process, <laughs> and I don't know how to be praying for all you teachers in the room today as you guys gear up for an, two weeks. So don't start praying yet. Okay. <laughs> we'll hold off on the prayers. <laughs> uh, man, I come back into kind of the role and assignment confident in a couple of things. Uh, one, Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen. Period. Period. Uh, I, I'm extremely confident that there, there's a lot of things that we can put our hope and our energy into that will not provide hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. And, and second, I'm confident that the relationships that we establish in this community are vital in walking out our faith in Jesus. Your, your, the people that you're sitting with, the people that you live life with, they're invaluable as you work out what it means to trust Jesus. You, you need one another. We need one another. From being gone for a while. I can tell you it, it's it, it filled me with gratitude coming back, seeing the relationships and the gift of what we have in this community. And in order to walk out our faith, we have to lean into each other in the good times and in the hard times. That's the gift of the body of Christ. It's not all butterflies and awesome. Anybody walk through anything difficult in the last eight months? We get to do that together and we get to celebrate together. Uh, So it's an honor to to do that with you. I'm also painfully aware of, of something else. I'm painfully aware and have become even more painfully aware that I can live every day each week, a majority of the year. At a pace that is completely at odds with the way of Jesus. I'm regularly oversaturated. Over over committed over entertained anyone. Which makes it next to impossible to actually abide in and hear and follow the way of Jesus. My attention gets divided. My heart gets divided. I begin to associate busyness with importance. More seems like better. Stress is a, becomes a badge of honor. I am so stressed. So much. I'm so busy. You ever, ever been caught saying those things? I guess is you can connect to it. Margin seems to have disappeared from our lives. Um, I I don't think it actually has. I think the margin that we have, we've just filled with all kinds of screen entertainment, hoping to disconnect from the exhaustion that we feel, but it only adds to the exhaustion. Um, Eldis Huxley wrote a book called A Brave New World. I don't know if anybody has read this, uh, in 1931 about this futuristic society or this world um, where every human being is genetic, genetically engineered in these little, basically a test tube, and they're trained from little kids all the way up through through sleep training where there's voices that tell them who they are and how they're supposed to operate in society. And, and citizens stay happy in this futuristic world by taking this drug called Soma whenever they have an uncomfortable feeling or they're they're uncertain or they're feeling fear, they just take this drug and it makes everything seem like it's fine. Relationships are meaningless in this new society that he wrote about, this fictional society. Parenting is non-existent because you don't have kids anymore, they're, they're grown and so marriage is gone, relationships are gone, love is connected to uh, freedom and promiscuity, it just doesn't really matter to any, anybody all the time. This is one of the lovely books that I read over sabbatical. Uh, (laughs) And again, it was written in 1931. It's startling how accurate this fictitious story describes the world we live in. Does it, I mean, anybody hearing that going, uh, what? (laughs) We're so caught up that we don't know how to live with one another. We've lost touch with meaningful relationships and hope is always just out of reach with whatever the next thing is that's gonna give us hope. This may be the way of the world, but this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. Jesus extends this invitation to all of us to, to follow him, to trust him. To make our home with him. To believe that he really is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything we need is, is in him. And, and the way of Jesus faces what's true. It it prioritizes relationships. The way of Jesus actually experiences pain and suffering. It, it lives a real embodied life. The way of Jesus accepts the limitations of our humanity. When we follow the way of Jesus, hope and salvation is not in what we bring to the table. It's in what he brought to the table. We get over ourselves when we follow the way of Jesus. So here's my takeaway as I'm fumbling through, kind of figuring out how to do life again. <laughs> my, my desire and my hope, and my prayer, is to slow down. To simplify. To be more present. To pray. To, to look into the eyes of the people around me. And, and I hope and I pray and I invite you to, to think about that in your own story. Think about the people that are in your life that matter. Are you present with them? Are you demonstrating love and grace? To them, I, I think some of the, the greatest disciplines that we can engage in, spiritual disciplines, in our day and age are solitude and fasting. Because God is always speaking. We just don't have any room in the inn. You understand what I mean? He's always working. We have just filled so much of our thoughts and our doing with activity that we're missing him. And there's something about entering into space and, and things like fasting. Like the crazy idea of going without not pursuing more that tunes our hearts back in to who we are in him. We don't necessarily need a ton more teaching or more information. Are we not inundated with tons of information? Anybody information to Out? We don't, we, don't need more, we don't necessarily need more input. We need more practice. We, we, we've got to practice the way of Jesus. It's, it's not about taking in a bunch more stuff. It's about living like he lived. This is the invitation. And I, I'm looking forward to working this all out <laughs> together. Uh, last thing before we get to the scriptures. First John is where we're going to be. If you grab your Bible or phone, you can start going there. First John chapter 1. Uh, Tomorrow, while some of us today leave for summer camp, our high school and middle school camp is tomorrow. Uh, And this is an important week. Here's why I say that. Um, George Byron did this survey. He's he's somebody who surveys kind of Christian culture and culture in general. And and he surveyed a number of Christians. And what he found is that 68% of believers, this is done like five years ago, 68% of believers make a decision to follow Jesus before 18. 68%. And so the fact that next week we have an opportunity to be with middle school and high school students, to spend time loving each other in the name of Jesus and and demonstrating this is who God is. Students' lives are going to be changed next week. And I I invite you to pray because there's a window where, kids, you're not going to have your phone at camp. So uh, parents, grandparents, pray for our students because it's going to be detox for them, right? there's gonna be a disconnect the first couple days will be really really hard but here's the thing when we disconnect it gives us the opportunity here from the Lord and so we're praying that God would work miraculously uh, in the coming week we're taking our staff over to serve we believe in serving this next generation so pray for us okay first John chapter 1 Uh, you guys have gone through the gospel of John this summer and you looked at the truly truly sayings of Jesus correct okay I checked with first service 2 to make sure that's actually what was happening You guys did it as well. Uh, I'm guessing that as you've walked through the series, like there have been things that have been encouraging and inspiring and things that have probably been like, as you've worked through these texts. That's following Jesus, by the way. If you're new to faith or new to church, following Jesus will change your life. And if it's not changing your life, you might not be following Jesus. He transforms us. He, cha- he changes us. He transforms us. And so we're going to continue. Not We finished through the Gospel of John, but we're going to continue with John's writings. And, and we're going to look at three letters that he wrote. Most scholars agree this, these were written also by John. And they thought really, really hard about what to call these important documents. And so they looked at these three letters, and they went with 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John brilliant. <laughs> These are letters uh, that are incredibly personal. They're not just words on a page. These are letters from f- a friend to friends, people who live life together. There's, they're, they're intimate letters. They're, they're very, very relational letters. And John had this privilege of living life with Jesus. He had the gift of walking with the presence of God manifested on this earth. What a blessing that was. In fact, in his gospel, he describes himself, it's probably been said over the the summer, John refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, like, cool, John. (laughs) Good for you, buddy. Uh, Some of you in my small group this week, though, uh, they said, you know, maybe it wasn't a comparative statement. Maybe John was just completely aware of how much he was loved by God and I love that I'm taking that away John understood the love of Jesus on a deep level he had a very personal relationship so much so that at the end of the gospel of John when he when Jesus is hanging on the cross being crucified he looks down at John and he says in a few words hey this is my mom you're going to be responsible for her now so there's a level of intimacy. You don't just pass your mom off to anybody. Maybe you do, and that's a different... <laughs> we had a different conversation then. So, so John had this relationship with Jesus where it was like, you're going to care for my mom now. Okay? So they were close. And the point of all that is to say, uh, John is somebody who's worth paying attention to because he walks so closely with Jesus. Here's the text, chapter 1 of 1 John. so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Translation, the opening of this letter. Here's the translation. Jesus is real. He's real. You want to know how I know? I lived with him. So John's saying. Like... God manifested his presence. I, like, we hung out. We ate meals together. I watched him do miraculous things. They're not human things that he was doing. For three years, I I gave my life to follow him, to listen to his teaching. This guy is legit. He's the real deal. John is saying, I know this because I lived with him. This is important, And, and his desire is not... Not just to just share, hey, I had a good relationship with Jesus. His desire is that you would have a good relationship with Jesus. So he's saying in the letter, listen, this isn't just for me. Jesus came for all of us. I, I hope that you can experience the joy that I have in knowing him. It's inspiring to, to read his, his letter. God, you guys, listen, Jesus, he came to restore us, to heal us. It's good news. John writes as a friend, reminding friends of the validity of the gospel story. And I love how he ends his first first thought here. He says, we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. And I love this. What What does he mean? What is he saying? John's joy was connected to not just knowing the love of Jesus, but sharing the love of Jesus. And his joy being complete was when people would come to accept and believe that the gospel was true for them as well. That brought great joy to John. That they would have the same type of fellowship that he had. His joy was being complete every time he heard that that was taking place. He says, this is why I write. Everyone has to know about Jesus. This summer on sabbatical, I got to witness uh, this kind of joy. Earlier in the year, um, my mom texted me, and she said, hey, give me a call. I got something that I want to talk to you about. It's not an emergency, uh, but it's just something I need to process with you. And and if you knew my mom, my mom grew up in a small town. She's very networked. So this could mean a thousand different things, right? Because she knows everybody in town. It's only a couple thousand people, and she tends to just kind of keep us up to date on things that are going on, right? And so I'm like, okay, what are we getting ourselves into here? And so I called my mom, and she, she proceeded to tell me that Bobby, uh, one of our childhood friends, my sister's childhood friend, uh, we're talking 30 years ago, wanted to get baptized, and he wanted me to baptize him when I was back in Michigan, and, you know, first you're like, oh, that's really cool. And then I'm, like, starting to ask questions like, what? Why, why me? Why now? What's the, sto- what's the story? What's the story here? And so when I got home, I went and had a conversation with Bobby. Now, just some context. He is seven years older than I am. He wasn't my friend. I don't even remember a ton of conversations with Bobby. He was my sister's friend. So we sit down and we have coffee and he begins to share his story and he proceeded to tell me that that he learned what faith was by coming to our house at mealtime and watching my family pray and sometimes that we did devotionals i was a kid i don't even remember him coming to the house right but he learned about jesus because he was a friend that was invited to the house And he said, man, I tell you what, it was so awkward. You guys are so weird to me. (laughs) He said, I never knew really what you were talking about. I felt like out of my comfort zone because you're talking about things I didn't understand. And then you'd ask me questions and I would try to like say something that made sense, but I don't know anything. And so I was so uncomfortable sitting at that table, but over time and now at this point in my life, I understand what that was all about. And and I'm choosing Jesus. And So on July 9th, we met at my neighbor's pool with friends and family, and I baptized Bobby. Here's a picture of the baptism. Uh, And it was it was such an emotional moment for our family. Right. Because we we had no idea I mean, this is decades past when he was spending time in our home. We had no idea, but God was doing a work in his life, and we were just a small part of that. And the next picture is the one that I'm excited to share because to me, what John writes in this letter that his joy is being complete, this picture captures it. This is my family and his family gathered around this pool at my neighbor's house. That's joy. We, we experience the joy of somebody trusting the love of Jesus. And it was such a, such a gift. Every time we do that as a church, come on, for those of you that have been here for a while, when we do baptisms, there's a joy that's experienced on Baptism Sunday that is otherworldly. This is what John's talking about in his letter. We get to be a part of that too. And so, so John starts this letter by confirming Jesus is the real deal. There's nothing better. You should know him. And it would give me great joy if you would come to know him. This is how he starts the letter. And then he continues with something that he learned from Jesus. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is a, an amazing section of scripture. It was on our the reading plan for this week, if you're following along. This scripture is worth meditating on for the next 20 years, um, because there's so much in here. There's so much to hold on to. John, he loves this, his way of uh, illustrating things about God with light and, and darkness. He uses it a lot. In John chapter 1, he opens his gospel that way, that the light came into the world, but the darkness, it didn't understand it. And then he talks about, later, he ref, reflects on Jesus saying, I am the light of, of the world in John chapter 8. And so I'll, I want to visualize this together. Let's bring the lights down. Maybe. here's the story. The world is a dark place. Do I need to convince anybody? The world is a dark, dark place. And it's a dark place because a long time ago, people walked away from God's created order. They walked away from the design. They walked away from what he blessed us with. And because of that, generation after generation has passed on a distorted way of living. And the world has become a dark place. The world is a dark place. That was until Jesus came. God entered into the darkness, as John 1 says. He stepped into our world as the light. Now, this means so many different things. He embodied For us on this planet what it meant to live as a human being fully trusting God walking in his created order he was the light he was the way the truth and the life and when he entered the world he entered darkness and here's this crazy thing that happened it became abundantly clear to everybody that we were not the light. <laughs> Here's what I mean. They began to look at Jesus' life and said, if, that, if he is the light of the world, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, I am not him. I don't live that way. I don't talk that way. I don't serve that way. I don't speak that way. I don't sacrifice that way. I don't love that way. I don't forgive that way. If he is the light of the world, if he is the way things should be, then when I stand next to Jesus, I am dark in comparison. I'm dark. I'm darkness compared to the light of the world. If Jesus is the light, it's clear that we're in the dark. We can turn the lights back on. Now, here's the thing. How well do you think that that was received by humanity? We, I mean, it's a rhetorical question, because we know how it was received. Jesus, the light of the world, showed up and got close to other human beings, and they went, God, we got to deal with this. This is creating a problem. Because if he's right, then we're wrong. If he's goodness, if he's life, what are we? And even those that were called to be carriers of God's goodness and God's truth looked at Jesus and were saying, this is not the light. They were saying, about God, you are not God. And so what was the solution? What, how did they deal with this problem? They crucified him. They killed him. They said, we can't have this light anymore. Because it's 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 exposing us. Like I'm seeing clearly, what is true about me, and I don't like that. Kill him, murder. Let's get him out of here. Put him in a tomb. Oh, the good news, right? Did he stay in the tomb? No, because he's God. He's the light of the world. He he rose again. They can't. He can't be held into a tomb. And the light of the world continues to shine in our lives. He's, he doesn't cease being himself. He is a light shining in the darkness. And John, John was a witness to all of this. He watched his life. He watched the way that he lived. He watched what he taught. He watched how he forgave and healed. He watched all of these things. That He watched as the light of the world was put on a tree and killed. He experienced the resurrection wait it's not over he actually is who he said he was I mean imagine what that would have done to you like you think hope is gone you've been following the guy for three years and now he's dead just kidding it's all true he gave his life to this and this is why decades after the resurrection he writes these letters because here's what was happening amongst the group of believers they were moving away from following the light of the world already, within a century. They were getting it all twisted up again. They were confused about the story. They were saying that they were followers of Jesus, that they had fellowship with Jesus while living in the darkness. They were not, li- they were not like him. You know how confusing that would be? John says, hey guys, ah we got to get back to the story here. They they had lost the importance of things like confession and repentance, of acknowledging the truth that when you're close to the light, he reveals the darkness and you confess it. That's how you're freed. That's how you're set free. That's how how it works. And they're building these systems of religiosity that were far from the heart of God. Are there any of those in this world today? John pleaded, come back to Jesus. And and I think his words echo to us today. Come come back to Jesus, guys. Today, the light is shining in this dark world, and we all get to decide what to do about it. Do we draw near to Jesus and accept what's true about what's revealed? Do we allow the goodness of his power and his presence to weed out and transform and change us. Do we confess? Do we repent? Do we change direction? Do we trust him? Or do we live a life just trying to just like, yeah. maybe if I'm down here, he can't see it. Or do, do we try to snuff out the light again? You know what's crazy? I didn't say this for service. Here's where I think it gets really hard just practically. This journey of following the light of the world, we don't do alone. We do with other people. So you know what happens? I don't know how, I didn't plan this, so I don't know how I'm going to do this. Just pretend, okay? (laughs) Imagine you guys are all up here with me, this close. Do you know what happens when a group of people get this close to the light? You can see clearly everything in everybody's face. Think about that in terms of sin and darkness. What's difficult about the church being the church is when we get close to Jesus, you actually begin to see what's true. And what's true sometimes is actually really ugly. It's actually really dark. And we get to come to Jesus, confess, and change. The problem is, when we're close to the light, we see everybody else is close to the light and we start going, oh man, you have got some stuff on you. <laughs> Look at over here. My Lord. I think confession is important for you today. <laughs> now, if we're all doing that, if we're all so much so interested in everybody else that's going on and we're not dealing with our own stuff, the darkness is never dealt with. Are you with me? As we follow Jesus, we each have a responsibility to draw near. And he and his goodness and grace. Here's the thing. The light is not meant to condemn and shame. He said that. I did not come to condemn the world. But to what? Save it. So he shines the light into our lives to deliver us, to heal us, to save us, and to restore us. Not to t- condemn and shame and crush. And so we can gladly come close, allow God to reveal what's true, and surrender to him afresh and be restored and healed. Is that not good news today? That we serve a God that looks upon us this morning, and he knows every detail of our lives. every detail of your life (laughs) every detail of my life every thought of my life every action of my life everything that has happened before this moment everything that will happen moving forward he knows all of it and he looks us in the face and he says i know this is true i forgive you i love you Nah, nah, Jesus. Yes. Yes, I do. But what about? I see all of it. And I love you. You want to know how I'm confident of that? He hung on a cross for you and for me. He said, I see all that, and I, and I know that you can't do anything about it. I know you can't change it. I know you can't deal with your darkness. I know you can't defeat the sin that's in your life. I know that you can't right the ship. I know you can't do any of that. I'm not unaware of the things that are going on in your life. I'm fully aware of those things, and I've come to rescue you. I have come to heal you. I've come to save you. Put your trust in me. And every day we wake up, friends, Every moment is an opportunity to trust Jesus with our lives. And the moment we stop trusting him, the moment we start thinking that we have control, the moment we start thinking that we can order and handle the sickness and the darkness and all the things that are underneath the surface is the moment we get ourselves into a deeper mess. Being in chapter 2, John says this "My, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, that you may not go wayward. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. This is such a gift. At worship team, you guys can join me. And why don't we get our communion elements ready? That's the little chalice that you were handed when you came in. As a community of faith. Uh, we participate. In this symbolic meal, if there was just four or five of us, we'd have a loaf of bread and a glass of wine or juice or something, right? It's the symbolic meal that is so incredibly important for us to hold on to because it's a reminder. It's a reminder that when we come to the table, we come to the table with the light of the world whose extended grace, And forgiveness and love, who is all powerful and all knowing. And we bring to the table brokenness. We're in need of healing. And the good news is that Jesus, even sitting around a table with his disciples thousands of years ago, he was sitting with people that were pretty jacked up. I don't know if you know this, the disciples were human. Read the gospel. You're like, oh, I can relate to this guy. Seems like a good guy. <laughs> they, they were broken too. And Jesus invited them to the table, and he was trying to get them ready for when he was going to be crucified. He, he was trying to help them understand this has to happen in order for you to be healed and set free. But I want you to practice this meal even after you see all this happen because you're going to forget really quickly that it's me who saves. You're going to start thinking it's you that saves. You're, you're going you're gonna to start thinking that you can manage your own life. You're going to start thinking that you can right your own wrongs. And, and so I want you to share this meal often. And when I think about communion, I, I actually think about every time I sit down at the table with my wife and kids. I think it's every time we eat. Every time we eat, we break bread. Maybe you don't do bread. Break something. Some sort of food. Every time you sit down to do that, because guess what? You have to do that every day, sometimes two or three times a day. So think about this. Three times a day, we're called to remember that God was so good to us that he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we could be made right and whole and righteous in his sight. Three times a day, we need to be reminded that our God is good that our God is gracious, that our God is all-powerful, that he sees us and he knows us and he loves us and he's here to set us free. Three times a day, we gotta tell ourselves that. Anybody else? As a community of faith, we do that together this morning. The body of Christ, which was broken for you and broken for me, let's receive the goodness of that together. The blood of Christ, which was shed for you and I, for the forgiveness of our sins. Without Jesus, there is no resurrection. There's no healing. There's no forgiveness. There's no making things right. Because of Jesus and his blood that was shed, we have hope today. Let's receive the cup together. Will you stand as we close in worship?